right, we're going to be looking today, we're going to take the month of December off and look at the Christmas story from several different points of view. Uh, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we have this opportunity to worship you. We thank you that you came so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And we thank you for that, that you voluntarily did all of that. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and that virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail you that are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have been found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Then said Mary unto him, how shall this be? Seeing I, seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy thing which you shall be born to you shall be called the Son of God. And behold, your cousin Mary, uh, Elizabeth, she hath not also conceived a son in her old age and is in her sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it now unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We want to look at this for just a moment because this is the story of Mary. This is where everything starts <laughs> as far as we're concerned. I mean, it started all the way back before the foundation of the world. God said of Jesus several times he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So even before God created anything, he knew that we were going to sin and he knew that we would need to be redeemed. Now, we've often said, I have no idea why God went ahead and created man knowing that they were going to sin, that we were going to sin, but he did. And he knew that Jesus would have to come and be the sacrifice before he even created us. And this is hard for us to understand, but this angel, this angel named Gabriel. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but we only know the name of three of the angels of heaven. One of them is Lucifer, who fell and became what we know of as Satan. We have Michael, the warrior angel, and we have Gabriel, the messenger angel, and we know that they're not the only angels out there, but those are the only ones that we have the names of. And Gabriel goes to talk to Mary. And this is going to be something. Can you imagine? And it doesn't tell us where Mary was or what she was doing when all of a sudden this angel showed up. I don't know what I would do if an angel popped into my presence, especially Gabriel. <laughs> I'd rather have Gabriel show up than Michael probably. <laughs> but... You know, we have an angel just popping into her presence and saying, Hail you, uh, let's find out. Um, Hail you that are highly favored with the Lord, for you have been, blessed are you among women. 
what a message that she gets. Now, we don't know exactly how old she was. Most people think she was somewhere around between 12 to 16 years old. So let's say 14 just for splitting the distance, distance between those. She was a young girl by our standards. By their standards, she was at marrying age. And so she was espoused to Joseph. And for this means that it was a pretty big deal. This angel's coming to her and say, you know, the good news is you're going to have a baby boy. Now, for that day, baby boys weren't very important because they carried on the name of the, the house. They, they were the one that got the inheritance. And all the ladies wanted to have children, period, but they really wanted to have a boy. And they preferred it to be the firstborn. So, and so she's told that you're going to have a baby boy. Great, great news. Then he goes on to tell her that she has found, it says favor in our King James, but the word is actually grace. You have found grace before God. I love the word grace, and you all know that I love the word grace, because grace is getting everything we don't deserve. And I love that. You know, and we've told you an acronym, it's the beginning form of it is God's riches at Christ's expense. We get all the riches of God because Jesus paid the debts that we owed. Grace is a wonderful word, and he tells Mary, you have found grace. This is what was said of Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord during a period of time when the whole world was doing what was right in their own eyes. Much like today's world, where most everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. But yet, God's grace is so important for us. You know, and we want to think about this, the importance of this event. He said to Mary that he, in verse 32, that he will be great. He shall be called the Son of God. And he shall get the throne of David, his father David. Now we read those and we may or may not understand what those are, but those are all the promises that you are going to give birth to the Messiah. She hears these things and she's not hearing all of this. She's hearing, I'm going to be the one that brings the Messiah to, into this world. This was the goal of every woman that was going to have children in the tribe of Judah, that maybe they would be the one that would bring the Messiah to, the, to, to birth. And you could picture every time they had a baby boy and you're, you're one of the daughters of Judah. <laughs> Did, is this the Messiah? Did I give birth to the Messiah? And Mary's told, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. This is a big event. This is something that they have been waiting for. Now, their understanding of the Messiah was that he was going to come. And Israel was going to be the center of the world government. And everybody was going to come to them. And, no, and they were going to be the power in the world. So Mary's hearing this and thinking, oh, Rome is going to be gone. My son is going to be the one that's going to drive Rome out of here and we will be the world's nation. This is what the disciples kept thinking. And we've talked about this many times. When Jesus would say, I'm going to go die on the cross and I'm going to rise again, they didn't understand that because they were looking for the Messiah. We are following the Messiah. He's going to throw Rome out of this. We're going to be the, the, the new kingdom and because we're his right-hand men, we're going to be... The, the, the key governors and princes and all these people, and we're going to be up there and we're going to be ready to help take over this new government. 
So when he would talk about dying, they were going, we don't understand, we don't, doesn't compute, and ignored him. Because it says over and over that they did not understand until after he rose again what he had talked about. But Mary here is being told, you are giving birth to the Messiah. A couple of places he's quoting here is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and Isaiah 7, 14, and others. <laughs> you can go all through the Psalms and find references to the Messiah. And so she is in this place where she says, I am going to have a child. Now, this is confusing to her because at this moment she's engaged. And engagement in that time was a lot different than our engagements. When they would get engaged, there was a ceremony that was basically a wedding ceremony, but they didn't get to go on a honeymoon and consummate the marriage. But they were, as far as the people were concerned, they were married and yet not not with the privileges of being married yet. And during that next period of time, the man was to go out, build a home, get his business started, get ready for his wife. And then at a certain period of time, usually about roughly a year, he would arrange with the, the, the woman's father to kidnap her one, one day. And him and his, his party would come and grab her and her, her party, and they would go have a big party for one week long, and then they would consummate their marriage and be, be married from that point on with all the rights and privileges that go along with being married. And then by Jewish law, he would not be able to be conscripted into military. He was to take a, a, week long, a year long vacation and just spend time getting to know his wife. So this is what they're in. They're in this period. And this angel comes along and says, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. Good news. Very good news for her. I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. And, but she doesn't understand at the same time. She goes, I am a virgin. How can this be? Good question. Everybody in this room at least knows biology. You cannot have a child without a man and a woman. Mary understood this. She goes, okay, you're saying that God is going to give me this child. How can this be? You know, we're just engaged. We have time before any of this stuff happens. How can this event happen? How many times has God asked you to do something? You're going, God, how can this happen? How can such, you know, whatever it is he's asked you to do be true? And this is something we need to be aware of. God always asks us to do things that only he can accomplish. Because if it wasn't something he could that we could accomplish on our own, then we would just say, look what I have done. You know, and you know, we look at it and say, God, you're just so lucky you have me. I'm able to get all these things done, and you know, we didn't need your help. And God says, no, you didn't do a God-sized uh, activity. And this is something that's very important. Do we step out and say, God, what is it you want me to do that only you can do? And it's kind of interesting. I love watching people who start teaching classes and they go, I never thought I'd be able to teach a class or go out witnessing and go, I never thought I could go out witnessing, run a ministry, whatever it is that God's asking you to do, step out in faith and say, God, I want to serve you where you're at and what you expect. Because it is real easy, and we've talked several times about how easy is it to make excuses on why you don't serve God. You know, when we're young, it's like, okay, God, I'm just too busy with school. I, I'll, I'll get to you when I'm done with school. 
We get done with school, we start work. Oh God, you, you've got to understand, I am starting this job and it's just demanding. I got to get busy doing, doing this job. Then you get married, oh God, you just don't understand. I got to take care of my wife and my family and my kids. Then, then you get a little longer and the kids are a little older. Oh God, you know, I'm just, I, I'm getting promoted in the business. If I don't give the business my, my entire life, then I won't get this promotion and nothing will work out. Then we get, oh, the kids are now, you know, teenagers or in college and I got to get to their games and their events. And then eventually we get old and we say we got plenty of time and we have no strength and energy. And we go, God, I'm just too tired to serve you anymore. We can find excuses at every age, every step of our life to not serve God if we want. We have to make the determination that God, I will serve you. And then do it. One of the things that is very true is you will always find time to do what you like to do. You will find money to spend on things that you like to spend. Now, one of my great examples is for anybody who's a sports fan. If you were given, you know, you're really busy, you don't have time for a lot of things, but if you were given tickets to the championship game, whatever sport it is, and they were free tickets, they, had, they included the flight to wherever this event was going to be, and they included the hotel, you would find time to go use those tickets if you really loved that sport. You know, it wouldn't be, well, I just don't have enough time, Keep, you know, give the tickets to somebody else. You'd say, this is something I've got to make time for. This is, this is special enough for me to make time. Is God that special to you? Yeah. And this is important. How special is God to you to make time for him? To do what he asks you to do? Because we're looking at eternity. What we're doing today is affecting our eternity. And in eternity, you will probably wish that you had done more. No matter how much you've been doing for God, you'll look back and say, I should have done more because I missed out on many opportunities for him. And I don't care how little or how much you're doing, you'll be looking at it and say, I could have done more if I had just realized. Paul was always looking to heaven and saying, what can I do for God? What can I do to support God? Now, that doesn't mean that we have to be in church every single time the doors are open. Because we do need to pay attention to our family. We do need to pay attention to work. But what excuses do we make when God is asking us to do things? God, I just have no time. And believe me, I hear a lot of excuses. I've probably made some, many excuses that I didn't, shouldn't have made when I was younger myself. But the question is, are we ready to say yes? This chapter ends with Mary saying, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. She has just been told that she's going to have a baby. It's God's baby. It's not going to be Joseph's baby. And she says, okay, let it be. Now, she lives in a time not like our time, where if you have a baby outside of marriage, that it's semi-okay. She lives in a time when if you're having a baby without being married, you stand number one, the chance of being stoned. So she is saying, God, I'm ready to do this. If this is what you want, you said I'm going to have this child. What is going to happen to me outside of this time? At the very least, she knows that she is going to be ostracized by the other women in the town. You know, that's the girl who had a baby outside of marriage. 
Some of us are old enough to know the times when it was a big deal to be pregnant without being married and the reputation that you got for doing so. This was what Mary was saying at this point. She's realizing even at that point, God, my life has just been turned upside down. One of the things about walking with God is God often asks us to do things that turns our lives upside down. As we start into Hebrews 11 tonight in the Bible study, we're going to look at how God turned people's lives upside down when they obeyed. Just little things like build an ark and I'm going to destroy the world. You know, now follow me and, and you know, we end up being killed. Follow me and be set aside and be made an example of. What is God calling you to do? Most of us look at what God calls us to do and say, uh, God, I don't think I'm willing to pay the price. And this is what I see the price being, and I am not willing to pay that price. And God says, walk out in faith. Step out in faith. We need to do it. Mary's answer was, I, I'm your servant. We call Jesus Lord. Is he truly your Lord when, you, when you're using that term for him? Is he the one, because the Lord, say, the Lord is a master. They say, do something. And like the joke goes, you're, you're, not, you're not even asking. When they say jump, you're not even saying jump. You're saying, how high do you want me to jump? Do we approach God and say that same thing? God, you are master and Lord. You are creator of the universe. You are the one that knows everything and has a plan for my life. Do you sit forward and say, God, I want to just do whatever it is that you ask me to do. Or are you standing around, and we all do this, and argue with him? Say, God, I am just not ready to give this up. I'm not ready to sacrifice this. I am not ready to face the ostracizing of the people, the people pushing me aside and separating me. As we get closer and closer to the end days, and we're getting closer and closer to the end days, we are going to be more and more rejected by the world. Why? Because we represent the light of God. And darkness does not like light. We come in as Christians and we shine the truth of God on, their, on a lifestyle, and you don't even have to say a word. Many times I have not even said a word to people but the Spirit of God comes in with you because He lives in you and He convicts the people of what they're doing and they get upset. And they get irritated because the light has been brought into the room. You bring light into a room with cockroaches or rats or any of these kind of vermin, what happens? They scatter. The dark does not like the light and we bring the light in. And you know, even if you are a small light, one of the things I like about the candlelight service is when we get, I light that first candle and there's not a whole lot of light in here. But there is light because it's dark. We light all the candles in the room and it is very bright in this room because the light multiplies. The light, even a small light, will draw attention in the dark. We are to be that kind of light, being obedient to God. Mary says, I am ready, so be it. And I love what the angel said to him. She said, how can it be? He said in verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. If God is on your side, there is nothing that can stand against you. 
Paul said, what can separate us from the love of God? He said, neither height nor depth nor width nor life nor death. He went through a whole line of things basically saying nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. How much trust do we have in God? All of that comes down to do I trust God to be God or do I not trust him? Why do we run through all these different tests that we go through? It, God is testing our faith, not so that he knows how much faith we have, but so that we know how much faith we have because we usually lie to ourselves and say, I fully trust you, God. God, I'll do anything you want. And God says, I want you to do, oh, except for that, God. I don't, I don't, you know, well, I'll do this. No, nope, I don't want to do this. Oh, God, I'll do almost everything you want me to do. And then we go down the list and go, God, I guess I'll maybe do some of the things that you want me to do. All that we're doing is proving we don't have enough faith in what God is asking us to do. I can't tell you what God's asking you to do because that is going to take you to know what God's asking you to do. But I will say, step forward. Be ready to serve God. First step, of course, is getting to know him. This whole process that Jesus came to this world... The very first prophecy of the Messiah was in Genesis chapter 3 when it says his, the serpent will strike his heel and he'll crush the serpent's head. The first prophecy of the victory that God would have over sin and death. And Mary gives birth to the Messiah. The Passover lamb that's going to live a perfect life and be crucified and killed for our in our place so that we could become Christians. We could be children of God, the followers of Christ, all because he took that sin upon himself on the cross. He became sin so that we could be forgiven. He became the propitiation, and that's a very big word that we don't fully understand, but he took all the anger of the Father on sin upon himself. All of it. For the whole world. He took on the sin. He took the punishment that all the world deserved. And then on the cross, the father turned his back on the son because he became sin. First time in all of eternity that the father and son's relationship had been broken on the cross when he became sin and the father and the spirit turned their back on him and were separated for a period of time. What a penalty that was paid, and he took it willingly for us. Yeah. And we've got to remember, at any time, Jesus could have turned to the Father and said, uh, these people aren't worth a little. I'm just coming back home. You, we'll just destroy them all and start all over. But his love took him to the cross. His love held him on the cross. His love paid the price that we could not pay. We need to keep that in mind the high cost of our salvation. It's so easy for us to forget what it cost and say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. Jesus died for me. He paid a dear price, and all he asks is our service in return, our service to do whatever he asks. And that's hard. If you read any kind of biographies, you read the Bible, you see that when God asks his people to do things, most everybody goes into it totally afraid. 
God, I don't know how this can be glorifying you. How many times have you walked through something that says, God, I just don't know how this can be glorifying to you? But you know, on the other side, when we look back on it, we're going, oh, wow, God, you knew exactly what you were doing as long as we walk through it. And he promises us that he will walk through, a, through the shadow of the valley of death with us. He says he'll be with us always. We are never separated from him when we're his child. Our goal is to just walk with him, to go through with him, even when he's asking us to do something that's going to seem very hard. Mary's been asked to say, I'm going to turn your life upside down. You are going to be pregnant with a child. And it's not said there, but in her mind, she goes, okay, nobody's going to trust me. Can you imagine her second thought? Uh, what's mom and dad going to say? You know, uh, you know, I'm going to go and say, Mom and Dad, uh, by the way, uh, I'm going to have a baby. And I haven't slept with anybody. Mom and Dad know biology as well. <laughs> and they're going to be looking at her on, huh, what were you and Joseph been doing here lately? When did you two get together without, some, without supervision? What have you been up to? Mom and Dad aren't going to believe her that this was a virgin-born child. The neighbors aren't going to believe her that this is a virgin-born child. They all understand biology well enough to know that one does not produce another, that you needed two. Her life is going to be turned upside down. She knows all of this when it's coming through and she says, let it be according to your word. Our prayer needs to be the same with God. Let it be according to your word. God always has a good plan for us. We may not understand it. We may not see it. And there are many times in my life where I've turned to God and said, God, I know that you've promised that all things work together for good, but I don't see how it's going to happen. But I'm going to hold on to your promise. This is what Mary's saying. I don't understand all this, but I'm going to hold on to your promise. Let it be according to what you have said. Are you willing to step forward and let God seemingly turn your world upside down? Why do I say seeming? Because even though Mary's life is going to be turned upside down, in the long run, she does give birth to the Messiah. She does see the fulfillment of what God is saying. When God appears to turn our world upside down, there's always something good that he's going to work from it. Either in this lifetime or in heaven. Oftentimes in this lifetime, if we just wait patiently long enough, usually we don't see it right away. We see it long after. So our goal is to have faith in what God is doing, to trust him in all that we do. And my challenge for each one of us is if you don't know God, today is the day to get to know him. Today is the day to say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe you died on the cross and I accept that gift. Come into my life and change me. For those of us that are Christians, we need to be saying to God, God, I am ready to do whatever you ask. And whatever you ask, you're going to say, God, let it be so. Our goal to serve him. That needs to be where we're at and to follow him. And my challenge for each one of us is let's step forward in whatever God is asking us to do. Whatever he's asking us to do, step out in faith. 
We're going to close. Lord, we just thank you this day. We thank you for your love and your care. Lord, if there's anybody that listening that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will become your child, that they will confess their sins, confess that they deserve punishment, and confess that you died for that and ask you to come into their life and save them, and that they will notify a Christian and start being discipled. Lord, for the rest of us, we challenge you, Lord, saying, give us a direction and help us say let it be as you will be as you desire and lord we thank you for your love we thank you for your care we ask you to bless us as we leave today bring many back to the studies this week and we ask you to go forward with us in jesus name amen listening friends where will you be when you die we ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes and the biggest answer we'll get is i hope i will be in heaven if hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.